with me. Um, Samson Parker, uh, he and his wife Leanne. Leanne, just wave at everybody so everyone can see it. Samson and Leanne Parker, they are neighbors to me and Karen. They live over in Stallings Glen. They live just a couple houses down from us at the end of our street. And uh, they are just uh, really, really awesome people. And uh, we've been neighbors with them for, how long you guys live in the hood now? Ten years. Ten years. Ten years. But I really started paying attention to uh, Samson about five years ago when he had a farming accident. He's going to tell you all about that, and so I'm not going to uh, give the story away or um, try to tell it to you because he's a lot better at it than me. Um, but it's a story that, it, and it's a story of, of not only his, his accident, but it's a story of faith. And I believe that it's important for you to hear it. And uh, ladies, I want to tell you, I love the ladies in our church, but I want to tell you that it's men who have my heart. Let me explain what I mean about that. When we started Rocky River Church about 12 years ago, one of the convictions that I have as a pastor is that most men think that church is for their wife and the kids. And so a lot of men, even men who go to church, feel like church is not really for them. And so if you think about it, if you grew up in church or you've been around churches, you can kind of put together what I'm saying. But in the church I grew up in and in the first church that I pastored before we started Rocky River, most everything was handled by the women in the church. And so here's what it did. It just brought kind of this feminine feeling to church. And I don't really know nicer ways. If I start to explain that more, it won't sound so nice, and I don't want to get stupid with you. But, you know, if you think about it, like the first church I pastored, they, they have beautiful mauve carpet and these uh, padded cushions on the pews that are also mauve. Now, do you think that a group of men in the church got together as a part of the decorating committee and said, you know what, I think mauve would be a nice touch on the pews. Or I, I, th- I think that mauve carpeting would just be beautiful in the sanctuary. That's what we got to do, paint the walls white and put in brass fixtures everywhere, and that will just be such a nice touch. I'm sure that it was not men who got together and said, you know, the Lord's table just looks a little plain. We just got the offering plates up there, maybe a couple candlesticks. Wouldn't it be nice if we put like, I don't know, fresh cut daylilies or something like that? Just have a fresh bouquet of flowers on the communion table. Men didn't do that, did they? But so much about church. Listen, even lots of pastors are just soft men. And so I wanted to start a church where people, no matter who they are or where they've been or what they've done in life, no matter what's been done to them, but I wanted to really be a church that welcomes men. So, ladies, I know most of you have never been in our men's room. You don't have a reason to anyway. But on the walls, the urinal splash is chrome diamond plating like you'd find in the back of a pickup truck. Wow. It's because when guys go to the bathroom, the countertops are black. We want guys to walk in there and say, yep, a guy can come to church here and feel welcome. People think I'm kidding when I say this, but I want to put a deer head in the men's room. I know that's not every guy's thing. I'm not a hunter, 
but I want to have a deer head in there. I want to have some fish hanging on the wall. I want to put the sports page over the urinals. And the reason is is because when guys show up, I want them to feel like men come to church here. If anybody knows Dale Jr. out there, I'd love to have like a hood off his race car or something. That'd be cool hanging from the ceiling in there, I think. But a church where men can come. Jesus, the one we follow, was a real man. I don't mean that he's, he's, he's just human, but he was a man's man. He, he hung out in places where guys drank too much. He, he hung around in places where men gambled and cursed. The religious leaders were always attacking him for these things. Jesus was um, a man who could hang out with a group of fishermen who were some of the roughest men of his day. And shepherds, they, they were like cowboys were in the United States in the late 1800s. I mean, just real Men, Jesus was a construction worker. Did you guys know that? He was a carpenter, finished carpenter. Jesus was a man's man. Um, we have a man who I, I would call, and it probably embarrasses him when I say this, uh, because he is a modest man too. But we have a man's man who is going to share his story with us today and uh, part of his testimony. Uh, this is Samson Parker. Again, I pointed out his wife, Leanne. Uh, Samson is a general superintendent for Blythe Construction. In fact, uh, he's doing all the work up here on the 485. They're finally finishing these. They had to call in. They've been trying to get it finished for 15 years, so they had to call in Samson to get it done. <laughs> Samson's uh, up here at Mallard Creek and all that, and he's the one that's making all that big project through there happen. And uh, he has a farm down in, uh, down in Camden, South Carolina. He'll mention that. But this, he is, he's a man's man. Him and his son, Samson. Is Samson sitting out there somewhere? There's Samson. They got, they got fishing boats. They got, I think, hunting boats like ducks. I think, I think they may go duck hunting. They go deer hunting. I don't know what all they shoot. But, but they fish. They, I mean, he is a man's man. But one of the things you're going to hear in a story is he's a man who follows Jesus and loves the Lord. And uh, I'm going to stop talking and let him start talking. You've got to hear a story. And so, Samson, you just come and share with us. Welcome, Samson Parker. Thank you, Jimmy. My wife and I have been coming here for almost a year now, and we love this place. Jimmy, you are an awesome preacher, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. We love the band. The band has a lot of energy each and every Sunday. We can feel the presence of God in here every time that we have been here, and it's just awesome. I am humbled to be here this morning to share my story. Before I begin, I want to make it clear that even though my story makes it seem like I'm a hero, I am not. I am just a simple guy, and God is the hero in this story. If it weren't for the grace of God, I would not be here today to share my story with you. It was uh, mid-afternoon. It was 9-11-2007. It was over 90 degrees that day, really hot. That morning, I left work early 
to go down to my farm to pick a load of corn and put the wagon in the barn and go back to, the, to work that afternoon. That didn't happen. I arrived at the farm about 1130. I hopped on my big John Deere farm tractor. I went over to the fuel tank, filled it up with fuel. I backed it up to the corn picker, a one-row corn picker, and that's exactly what it is. It's a one-row picker. It, it, picks, it takes the cob of corn, the ear of corn, off of the stalk as it, as it just pulled along with the farm tractor. I hooked up the, the picker, and then I backed up to the corn wagon and hooked it up to the back. It's a pretty awesome sight when you see it all three together. When it's working good, it is, it's a lot of fun, and that's, it's, it's awesome. It was the first picking of the year at the farm, and it was some of the best corn that we had grown up to that date. I took off down to the cornfield, picking the corn, and it took about an hour, hour and a half to, to get a load of corn. The wagon was almost full, and I decided to make one more row. I was trying to be greedy. I wanted corn falling off the sides, so I took off down the row to get another, another, another cycle. I get down about halfway down the, the row, and the front right tractor tire started to go flat. I thought, man, I cannot believe this. I turned the tractor around, and I hit it up to the barn trying to get the barn before it went flat. I got about 100 yards to the barn, and the tire was almost off the rim. I stopped the tractor, left it running. I, I got off and walked around to the front, and I kicked that tire several times, and I said a bunch of cuss words while I was doing it. I took off up to the barn to get my truck and a small air compressor. I brought it back down. I hooked up the air compressor to the tire. And, and started pumping up the tire. I knew it was going to take a, a while to do it. I walked back around the corn picker, climbed up on the wagon, and looked at the beautiful corn. It was, it was awesome. I climbed back off the wagon, and in the back of the corn picker, I noticed the shucks didn't fall to the ground like they were supposed to. And I bent down on my knees, and I started cleaning the corn shucks out of the, the box that's under the, underneath the rollers. I get about half of them cleaned out, and there's a corn stalk stuck there. I grabbed a hold of that corn stalk. The, the, the picker is not running. The tractor is, but the picker's not. I grabbed a hold of the corn stalk, and I started pulling the stalk out. I couldn't get it out. I get up, walk around and, to go check on the tire on the tractor. It's about halfway pumped up. And I thought, I thought about unhooking the compressor and pulling the tractor on up to the barn, but I didn't do it. I got back up, walked back around the tractor, reached up on the and turn on the switch that turns that engages the corn picker, turning it on. I thought maybe that would pull the corn stalk out. I walked back around the corn picker, and it looked in there, and that corn stalk was still there. All the safety stuff that Blythe Construction has taught me over 30 years working for them just went right out, right in the back, just throwing it right over my back. Without thinking, I reached my right hand inside that corn picker, and I pulled down on that corn stalk, and it didn't come out. And then I pushed up, and when I did, in a split second, those rollers that take the shucks off the corn, there's six of them, one goes one way and one goes the other, took my hand inside those rollers. I could not believe what had just happened. I was cussing. I was mad. I could not believe. The first thought that came to my, my brain was, my wife is going to kill me. Because she's always telling me, be careful when you go down to the farm all alone. And what do I do? I stick my hand inside a running corn picker and get it caught in those rollers. For an hour and a half, I did everything 
physically possible to get free from that machine. I dug into the ground to get dirt and rocks and just throwing it inside the machine. I took my boots off. I took my belt off. Anything that I could get my hands on to try to jam the machine to get my hand free. I would. This whole time, the rollers is eating away my hand, and my hand is going further and further inside the machine. The blood, the bits of pieces of the back of my hand was coming down my arm this whole time for over an hour and a half. I was screaming out for help. About midway through through this, I started crying out to God, please help me. I looked down on the back of the machine, and where the the trailer, the corn wagon trailer, is hooked to the hitch on the back of the machine, there's a little six-inch pin. I pulled that pin out, and I reached over. I couldn't see the rollers because of the sheet metal, but I reached over the machine and tried to jam the, the, the pin inside the rollers. The rollers were real close together, about a quarter to a half an inch, and the pin wouldn't fit. I almost got my left hand caught in the top from the top side. I didn't have my glove on. I dropped the pin, pulled back, grabbed a hold of my forearm, and at one point I put my knees up on the back of that machine, and I physically tried to pull my hand off, and I couldn't do it. I calmed down, and again, I cried out to God, please help me. I looked on the back of that corn picker, and there's a big old, the big trailer hitch on the back of it. It's held on there by a 12-inch long pin and an old rusty carter pin. Somehow, I managed to pinch that old rusty carter pin together, pull it out, and pull that 12-inch long pin out, drop it in on the ground. I picked up this big chunk of metal, and I reached it over and started jamming it into the rollers. It's, it wouldn't fit. It was too big to go between them, and I, I just kept ramming it in there. It didn't work. I was so mad. I reached back, grabbed my arm, put my knees up against the back of the machine, crying out to God, please help me, and again, I physically tried to pull my hand off, and I couldn't do it. I reached down and picked up the 12-inch long pin, and everything I have done to this point was from the top, and nothing worked. Somehow, I remembered on the side of the machine the chains that turn, the chains and the gears that turn the rollers is over here on the left-hand side. I reached around. The first attempt, when I tried to put the pin in place, I almost got my fingers caught in those gears. I felt the gears almost get them, dropped the pin, reached back around and grabbed my arm, and again, pulled as hard as I could pull. I, I calmed myself down, crying out to God to help me, screaming as loud as I could for help. I could hear the traffic going by me on the, on the busy Highway 521, but I could hear them going by, but they couldn't hear me. We have um, about 30, 40-foot-tall pine trees blocking the view of the road inside the farm, and I'm about a half a mile inside of our farm where I was located. I regrouped myself, and I reached around, stretched as far as I could stretch, picked up the pin, and this time I was able to put the pin between the gears and the chains and the tire and I finally had that machine stopped after over an hour and a half. And I thought, all i got to do is pull my hand out of this machine, wrap it up with my T-shirt, and drive myself to the medical center, and call my wife and tell her what stupid thing I had done. But I, that didn't happen. I grabbed a hold of my forearm, and I pulled, and I pulled, and I pulled. And I, could, I still couldn't get my hand out of that machine. I thought maybe my glove that I was wearing was wrapped around the rollers. I needed to cut it off. For some reason that morning, I 
I put my pocket knife, and this is the very knife that I had. I slipped it into my pocket before I went to work. I never carried a pocket knife, and to this day, I hardly ever carry one. But this is the knife. I slipped it in my pocket. Well, I pulled it out that day. I reached over, and I started cutting away the glove. And then I still couldn't get my hand out. I started cutting away my fingers. I had three of my fingers cut off. I could not feel cutting away the fingers because my hand was so swollen and numb, I couldn't feel anything. I had three of them cut away, and I was thinking I was almost free. But every now and then, on the side of the machine, the slip clutch was slipping, and those rollers would turn a little bit. Each time the slip clutch would slip, it was throwing sparks on the ground. And all those corn shucks that I had cleaned out earlier caught on fire, like a gasoline fire. And on the inside of the box, where it was still half full of corn shucks, it's on fire. I dropped my pocket knife, took my left hand, and I started pushing the corn shucks away from me. And I was pushing them up against the big tire on the side of the machine, and now it's burning. And the flames, the wind that day was blowing those flames right toward my face. All my hair was singed off, but not one burn place on my face. Amazing. I started screaming to God. I do not want to die here. And that's exactly what has happened. I was fixing to be burnt to death right here. And I didn't want my family, Samson Jr. and my wife Leanne, to come down there and find me on the back of this corn picker burnt to death. I cried out to God, please help me. Like someone took my left hand and I reached back inside that corn picker and picked up that, grabbed that pocket knife, went straight through it. There's no trying to find it with all the stuff in there. Went straight to that pocket knife. I pulled it out and I jammed it into my forearm and I started cutting away the meat around the bone. When I hit those nerves, up to this point, my hand being ripped apart, that was pain. Being on fire, my arm was burning and the skin was melting like plastic. That I don't remember. My leg was on fire and it was burning. I didn't even know I had a burn on my leg. But when I hit those nerves in my arm, that was pain. I promise you. And I passed out for a little bit. Because I can remember seeing my wife and my mom arguing where I was going to be buried. My mom wanted me to be buried in Kentucky, where I'm from. And my wife wanted me to be buried in South Carolina. And then I, I saw my son on his wedding day, and I wasn't there. And somehow I came to. I woke up and continued to cut away the meat around the bone. I took the knife and was jamming it into the bone, trying to break it, the two bones in your forearm, and I couldn't do it. To break the bone, I raised up as high as I could in the thin sheet metal on the back of that machine where my arm was stuck in, and I dropped to the ground. And when I dropped, it snapped the bone. At the same time, the big tire on the side of the machine exploded, and it blew me back about five feet onto the ground, onto my back. I'd never forget jumping up, screaming, I'm free, I'm free, I'm finally free. What, the, the whole time, the, with every heartbeat, the, the blood was shooting out the end of my arm about three feet. I never once looked at it because I'm scared of blood. I don't like blood. I take off running around my farm tractor to my truck. It's still sitting there. The tractor's still sitting there running. The air compressor's still pumping up the tire. I jump in my truck, thinking I had it in drive. I took off, 
but I was actually in reverse, and I backed up and tore off the uh, passenger side door, or tore it up pretty good. Finally got to truck and drive, took off up towards my barn, and I, wanted, I was so thirsty. I wanted a drink of water, and I almost stopped at my barn to get a drink of water. The water hose is right there. All I had to do was stop, but something was telling me, you've got to get to the road to get help. I, I drive up to the end, to the end of the driveway up to the busy road, and I start waving out my window trying to stop people with my left hand. I was just waving as waving I could do, and nobody, nobody would stop. And I thought, man, I'll make them stop. So I take my truck, I pull it out into the middle of the road, I turn the air conditioner on high, put the truck in park, lean my seat back, and I prayed to God. I said, God, I'm in your hands now. I have done all I can do. People were still pulling, driving in front of me, in front of my truck. I'll never forget an older couple. The man's eyes, blue eyes, went in front of me, and I followed them as it went through. Thank goodness they didn't stop. But the first person who stopped, the guy opens, this guy opens the door, and he says, hey, man, you okay? And I raised up what was left of my arm, and I said, I think I need a little help. The guy jumps back, sweat bead starts popping out on his head. I mean, it is, sweat is just pouring down his face, and he said, hey, man, don't move. This guy's name is Doug Spinks. He was a national, South Carolina National Guardsman, left work early that day. Wasn't supposed to leave early, but he did. Uh, he, he is a first responder. He works at the Kershaw County Fire Department. He is the guy who trains the first responders. He runs back to his car. He gets his paramedic bag that he had put in that weekend that he never carried with him before. Gets his paramedic bag, comes in the passenger side while he's talking to, to the 911 lady and starts putting bandages on my arm. Each one he put on there, he would tell me to hold it on there for him. I never once looked at my arm. I was too scared to. The second person who stopped was a nurse. She had left work. Uh, she was at a, a doctor's visit that day, and she was on her way home from work. She, this the lady pops her head in and says, hey, can I help? She knew Doug Spinks. Her name was Karen Baker. Doug told Karen, please uh, keep him calm and talk to him. But if but God put the right people at the right place at the right time out there in the middle of nowhere in the, in the road. I had a first responder on one side and a nurse on the other side. Amazing. I kept telling them, hey, I, I need a drink of water. And neither one of them would give me a drink of water. I said, if you just reach in the back of my tr seat, my little cooler, I got a bottle of water, and I'll give myself a bottle of water. Karen, I finally convinced Karen after several times of arguing with her to get the bottle. She did. She took it out, put it on a, a rag or a paper towel, and started wiping my face to cool me down. Every now and then there was a bead of water, drip of water, come down my side of my face, and I would stick my tongue out there to get a sip. And trust me, as bad as it was, it was awesome because I was so thirsty. About 10 or 15 minutes later, the ambulance arrived. And the ambulance drivers get out, the paramedics, and Doug Spinks met with them, told them what was around, and Doug knew them. They knew Doug. And they get the, the stretcher out. They get me out of my truck. They didn't realize how big I was. They had a hard time pulling me out of there, get me on the stretcher, put me in the ambulance, and Doug actually drove the ambulance down the road to the helicopter landing site. 
while the two paramedics was inside working on me. They they got permission. They put an IV, started an IV in my arm, and they got permission to give me a shot of morphine. And I, and when that morphine kicked in, it was like a heat wave went over my body. And for the first time after two, two and a half hours, I finally felt no pain. We get to the helicopter landing site at the, about the same time as they were landing. They get me out of the ambulance, wheel me to the helicopter, and they, if you ever seen one of those little choppers, it's not made for a big guy. They had to push me in there, and I was laying on my back with the flight nurse right above my head. And as we took off, he asked me if I was in pain. I said, yes, sir. And he gave me a sh- another shot of morphine. And as we were taken off, the big, beautiful blue, Carolina blue sky with those big white puffy clouds that you see in the fall of the year, I honestly thought I was going to heaven. We arrived at the hospital in Columbia. They get me out of the helicopter, take me in the ER room. If you ever seen the show ER, trust me, that's exactly how it looks. They wheeled me in, took me off the stretcher, put me on this big flat table with a big, bright, shiny light looking down on me. And there was about 10 or 15 doctors and nurses around the table working on me. One of the nurses had a pair of scissors, and she started cutting away my jeans. And I said, ma'am, please don't cut off my favorite jeans. I'm still awake this whole time. And she cut off my favorite jeans. One of the doctors um, told me, he said, all right, Mr. Parker, we're going we're gonna to take good care of you. We're going to put you to sleep now. And he did. The whole time I was awake until they put me, put me to sleep. They did the first initial surgery to my arm, cleaned me up a little bit. My burns were so bad that they knew they had to get me to the burn center in Augusta, Georgia. My left hand had third-degree burns. What was left of my right arm had third-degree burns. And my right leg, where it was on fire, had fourth-degree burns down to the bone. They flew me out that night to Augusta, and I was there for three more weeks with six more major surgeries before I returned home. I was home for two months, and two months later, I returned to work. On my baptism day, it was a couple months later, I was down at my farm, and I walked out into the cornfield where the old burnt corn picker still sat, and I made peace with that corn picker, and I thanked God for giving me another day to live. To sum it up, for all you out there this morning, it is okay to admit that you can't do it alone. It is okay to call out to God when you need help. If you're without God, you have not reached your full potential. I know this firsthand. Without God, I would not be here today. We all have a story to tell. Mine is no more amazing than anyone sitting out here. I encourage you to take the time to share yours with others. Thank you for allowing me to share my story today, and God bless you all. Thank you very much. Thank you, Leanne, would you, would you come stand up here with us? That's an amazing story, isn't it? I just felt like you had to hear it. And l- let me tell you, one of the things that Samson says right off the bat that I just think is so true and so valuable is that while his story 
um, makes him sound like a hero. And there's no doubt that it was an, an, an heroic thing that he did. I mean, he cut his arm off. But he says, in my story, I'm not the hero. God is the hero. And he also says at the end that you have a story. And indeed, all of us have a story. Now, I, I doubt that you'll ever end up with your arm hung in a corn picker. I hope that doesn't happen. But all of us get hung up with something, don't we? For you, it could be a marriage that just, it, it, it feels like it's just falling apart, and it is falling apart, and you feel like you can't do anything to stop it. Or maybe it has something to do with your finances in life. You, your finances are going down the tube and you just can't do anything to stop it. Or maybe it, it's some physical illness. Maybe you have cancer and it's just bigger than, than you. And you've done everything you know to do. And doctors have done everything they know to do. And so you, you're just trapped where you are. It could be some sort of addiction. Maybe you are struggling with alcohol. Maybe you're an alcoholic and you just won't say, I'm an alcoholic. Maybe it's an, an addiction like pornography that you just need to come clean from. It could be prescription drugs and you're just embarrassed for anybody else to know about it. And maybe you've been like Samson was for the first hour and a half where you're doing everything that you can think of and you're cussing and yelling and kicking that corn picker. And you, that's what you're doing with life. You're, you're kicking that marriage. You're kicking your spouse. You're cussing at where you are in your circumstances. You're, you're upset that you're in the trap. But you need to have that moment, I would say a moment of clarity, when in your regrouping you say, God, I've got to have your help. Will you just say to God right now, I need your help. I'm hung. I can't get out of this. I need you. Will you do that? Listen, before we pray together, it, it may be that you're not caught in a marriage. You're not, you're not hung or bound to some sort of financial issues. Alcohol and drugs, that's not your thing. It, it could be that you are still caught up in the, in the trap that all of us have to deal with at some point in our lives, and that is the trap of sin. And you're still held captive to your sins because you've never said, Jesus, I need you to help me with the biggest trap of all. I'm enslaved to sin, and because of it, I'm bound to death. And so, Jesus, I'm calling on you today to set me free. And you can have that, that moment that Samson has when he realizes he is free from that trap and he just runs away yelling, I'm free. 
you can have that same experience. I'm free from sin. I'm free from death. I'm free from bondage because of Jesus. Let's stand and pray together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to ask our band to come up and also for Samson and Leanne to stay up on stage with us. But nobody's looking around. Just This is you and God. And so you and God have your moment together. What are you caught in? What's holding you down? What's holding you back? What, what is keeping you captive? Just have your moment right now where you say, God, I've got to have your help. I'm caught up in this. It's bigger than me. It's stronger than me. This giant has me. I need your help. I need you to set me free from this addiction. I need you to set me free from my misery. I need you to set me free from my anger and bitterness. I need you to set me free from my loneliness. I need you to set me free from cancer or mental illness. I need you. If God is anything, the Bible tells us He's a rescuer. You don't just have to look at the Bible to see that. You can look at Samson's own story. Things began to change for him when he began to call on God. God was there with him to give him the courage to do things that most of us would admit are just unthinkable. Then even the people who passed him by on 521, that was a God thing too because it would have stopped maybe somebody else who could help him, Doug and Karen, who actually could help him. And so look at that. God sent him the right people, the people who could help him. God will jump into your life too and send people to help you. You just need to call on him. And now for those of you who've never trusted Jesus, and so you're caught in an even greater trap than a corn picker because you are held a slave in bondage to your sins. The Bible says that God loves you so much that He sent His only begotten Son that if you'll just believe in Him and trust Him and follow Him, that you won't have to fear death of any kind. Would you accept Jesus today? If you will, then just pray this prayer with me. You don't have to say it out loud. Just whisper it in your heart and mind. And God will hear you when you pray. And just say, God, right now, I'm calling out to you because I need your help. I need your help in my life, but I need to be set free from my sins. So God, I'm calling on you to come into my life through your son, Jesus. Jesus, I'm confessing to you that I'm a sinner and that I've been trying to live my life on my own to this point. But I know today that I need you in my life and so I'm not doing it my own way anymore. And now just say, Jesus, in the best way I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Just ask him to do that. Jesus, forgive me of my sins, please. And now say, thank you for dying for me on the cross. 
thank you for living. And now thank you for living in my life so I can be set free. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Listen, if you pray today and invited Jesus into your life, I want to know about it. And so Donnie's already mentioned the connection card. If you would, just make sure you put your name and some way to contact you, either through email or a phone number. And uh, just write on the front of the back a B. That lets us know that you're believing in Jesus today. And uh, at the end of the service, uh, in just a few minutes, our ushers are going to be at the back doors. And when you go out, make sure you leave your tithes and offerings. But especially the connection card. That's the most important thing to me. Leave that connection card and we'll follow up with you this week and help you take some important next steps now that you're following Jesus. So is it worth being at church today? It's quite a story, isn't it? Samson, I think the third time was even better than the first time and then the second time. It's just, it's just an incredible story. Thank you for having the courage to share it. And, uh, and Leanne... Thank you guys for being here for three services. I know you've been here since about 8.15 this morning, and so thank you for that. These guys have been working hard today, and so we, we appreciate it very much. And I want to ask you guys if you would keep Samson and Leanne in your prayers. Um, they have finished the manuscript for a book, and uh, they're trying to get this story told to other people, and I think you would all agree that this is a story that needs to be told. People need to hear this story. And so pray that God will continue to open up doors. You know, you know, because we talk about this all the time, God never wastes an experience. And so some people might look at this whole uh, accident as the end of something. But really, it's the beginning of something as well. God has given Samson an opportunity to share his story. And wherever he goes, even in the school system, they allow him to talk about his faith. And so ask God to keep blessing that and open doors for him to keep sharing the story with other people who need to know that there is hope. That there is hope that God is a rescuer and that God loves us and that he's with us even when we're caught, even when it seems like it's our darkest hour. So guys, again, thank you. I love you. We appreciate you. And uh, I'll let you go sit down. Yes, sir. Um, At the end of the service, those guys are going to be around for a few minutes. So make sure you tell them thank you for being here and all that they're doing. Will you do that? Uh, we've got one song that we're going to sing. We're going to do the first and the last verse of it. It's a great song. I, I think it's just a fitting way to end the day. It also give you one more opportunity to sing a song of praise to God. It's an old hymn. Some of you know it. It's called Jesus Paid It All. And uh, so let's sing. After that song is over, you guys are dismissed. I love you. And uh, more importantly, God loves you. And you can... You hear about that all the time. You hear the preacher say it, but now you've heard another man stand and say that God loves us and He rescues us. We'll see you next week.